This is Pop Culture Confidential, and I'm Christina Yerling Biru. Hey everyone, nice to have you back with us. This is Pop Culture Confidential, a part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. I find it so hard to believe that it's been more than 20 years since The Sopranos premiered on HBO, and it's still resonating. 2021 is huge for Soprano fans. Later this year marks the premiere of the feature film and prequel to the series called The Many Saints of Newark. It's written by Sopranos creator David Chase and starring Michael Gandolfini as Tony Soprano, the role so iconically portrayed by his father, James Gandolfini. And right now, a new film is rolling out in U.S. theaters and some other platforms, and that's called The Soprano Sessions. It's a unique look into the series through critics, cast, and creator David Chase. The film is split into three different parts. First is a conversation between critics and co-authors of the book The Soprano Sessions, Alan Sepinwall and Matt Zoller-Seitz. And the last part is their unique interview with creator David Chase. And in between is the so-called Last Supper, a conversation between four cast members, including my guest this week, Vincent Curatola. They talk Sopranos' memories while dining a great Italian meal at Il Cortile in Little Italy, a restaurant that also had a special meaning during the production of The Sopranos. We'll get into that. Now, Vincent Curatola played the iconic character, New York underboss, Johnny Sack. In fact, Johnny Sack was Curatola's first major acting role, and he made a huge impression with critics and audiences alike throughout the entire Sopranos run as the calm and menacing crime boss. The character of Johnny Sachs was often at odds with Tony Soprano and the Soprano organization, but he and Tony aimed to have a cordial and respectful business-like relationship, making their relationship one of the most interesting in the series. Now, at the meal, at the so-called Last Supper, we meet four actors reminiscing about their time on the show. They are Federico Castellucci, who played Furio Gunta, Arthur Nascarelli, who played Carlo Gervaisi, Vincent Pastore, Big Pussy, and Curatola, Johnny Sack. Here's a little taste from their conversation, and then on to my talk with Vincent Curatola. Was your peppers, Charlie? They only gave me three. You had one. Here's another one. You got another one over there. No, I told you they were going to be hot. The red no, peppers are uh, always hot. Listen, yeah. I enjoyed my life. I had a good life. My life, wait, wait, I'm sorry, we were at a funeral? Oh, Vinny, Vinny passed away. <laughs> no, oh, yeah. I enjoyed my life. I'm going towards my uh, retirement stages, and uh, I'm slowing down, and yeah, I'll well, have more dinners with everybody, and thank God. more wait, things wait, with wait, my listen family. To me. Listen to me. We're all at a place in our life. You want a steak, you buy a steak. You want a car, you buy a car. We right. A house, buy a house. But don't bother, yeah, we right. Have, we have what, no, not you. You're too young. Oh, okay. We have a com- one commodity left. What? One. What, one. Coffin? Time, Juch. Time. I know. I know. We have one commodity. I Our know. trick now this is really good. Is not to get another part, not to sit on the sixth train, learn the lines and await a way to audition. Our job now is to stay alive. The last commodity is time. Have well, you-, you also want to go out smelling like a rose. If they find me the first day, I will. <laughs> <laughs> Thank 
thank you so much for joining me. It's a pleasure. So you're a part of a great new movie called The Soprano Sessions. Um, your segment called The Last Supper, you and three other cast members have a fabulous Italian dinner and you talk about The Sopranos. And this restaurant that you're at, um, Il Cortile, I think it's called. Mm -hmm, correct. I understand that it has a special meaning already back in the day. Tell me about that. What happened was when we would find out um, that someone in the cast was leaving the show, i.e. probably being killed off or suffering a hemorrhage and dying, whatever. We would, uh, we would bring him to Il Cortile, Il Cortile, and we would have a, a going away dinner, drinking, whatever. And the funny part was that, you know, there would be people in the restaurant saying, oh my God, there's like eight members of the cast of The Sopranos here, what happened? And they'd come over as they usually do. Hi, how are you? It's great to see you. What are you guys doing here? Um, uh, we're having a birthday party because you couldn't tell people why you were there, right? Oh, of course not. Because <laughs> they wouldn't know for like eight or 10 months later till that episode aired. So uh, we had a lot of fun there. It was great. And uh, also when Dominic Chianese, uh got engaged, uh, we had his bachelor party there. So it must have been fun to see them, the gang, a few of the gang there for this movie. Oh yeah, well yeah, Vinnie Pastor, Vinnie Pastor and I were in um, Saudi Arabia. Uh, the November, yeah, the November before the, the shutdown, we were there to sign autographs along with uh, uh, Federico. We were there and then a week later we did something called Sopranos Con in New Jersey, which was the first ever convention for the show. It was a two day thing. People flew in from Holland, Germany, Venice, all over. All of it was amazing. Um, so in that in that sense, yeah, I mean, we still have the uh, the cohesion with some of the cast members, and it's wonderful. Your character, your performance is Johnny Zachary. I mean, we've seen some mob bosses in pop culture. It's hard act to follow. And I was reading, when I was doing research for this, I was reading some early reviews and they said things like, you are a scene stealer, a calm menace. Already from the beginning, um, people were seeing this about your performance. Um, and this was one of your first roles. When did you yeah. realize that you were making such an impact? Was there a specific moment where you realized, wow, this is... Um, you know, first of all, yeah, it's, it's a... I did not want to go to the audition when it was scheduled for me. I already knew that Tony Soprano had... Uh, sorry, Tony Sirico mm -hmm. had started working on the show, but it had not aired yet. And uh, my, my manager at the time said, oh, you got to go in for this thing. I said, I, I don't know, I'm not feeling it. I didn't go to two appointments. I went to the <laughs> third one and you know, the rest is magic. No, I have to tell you the truth. I, I think that when the show was on the air, you, uh, of course you realized people were watching it. Millions of people were watching it. But I don't think that that was the, um, I don't think that was the encouragement that as an actor you draw from the audience. I think my encouragement came strictly from the way they wrote my part. Mm -hmm. It was just so delicious to play that I kind of felt like if nobody ever really watches this, you know, I'm okay because mm -hmm. I got to play this guy. Uh, I love the character. I mean, and sometimes I slip into him, you know, during the day. I try not to. I don't want to scare people. <laughs> yeah, that would be intimidating. <laughs> yeah, you know, you go to the bank and they just hand you money, you know. <laughs> so. 
But does that happen? People do actually get intimidated when they see uh, Well, I think that they get surprised. You know, I was at St. Patrick's Cathedral for Mass with my wife, Maureen, and uh, went up to get communion a couple of years ago. And I think this was a Monsignor. And he just looked at me and said, the body of Christ, Johnny. I went, oh, Johnny. He's like, he just slipped, you know, for a moment. But um, it, yeah, it happens every day and it's wonderful because I guess the character did something for people, you know, I don't know. But it was, I, as far as realizing the magnitude of this, of this project, I, I think I'm still realizing it, even to yeah. this day. I want to go back to that auditioning you were mentioning because a lot of people auditioned for this character, but I understand that you read him in another way than the other people that were there. So uh, my appointment on Monday was with David Chase, the director, some producers and whatever. And I'm waiting in the room, you know, the ante room. And there's, I don't know how many guys ahead of me on their call back for Johnny Sack. And they, they all go in and I hear them screaming, come out. Next one goes in, he's screaming. They're all screaming. I said to myself, nah, I'm not going to scream. So when I got in and they said, are you ready? And I said, yeah, I'm ready. Uh, I, I did both scenes, I, three scenes, whatever it was. And I almost, I was just a little louder than a whisper. Kind of feeling if a guy's got a lot of juice, a lot of power, he doesn't have to scream at you. You know. And I guess that did it. Can you describe him? How was he powerful? How did you see him written on the page? <clears throat> Pragmatic, which he was described that way in one scene somewhere. Pragmatic, uh, he had to have all his ducks in a row. I think it was a lot about uh, Tony Soprano mentioned it in the scene with Johnny Sack. You know, what's it all about, John? Isn't it about putting food on the table for future generations? Isn't that what this is all about? And I think Johnny, I'm sure Johnny felt that way because I feel that way in real life. I've been a businessman since I'm a teenager and that's how I feel. My children, you know, my, my, my son, our grandsons, my wife, of course, everyone. Uh, anybody who stands in the way of you providing is an enemy. And I think that's how Johnny looked at Tony, but they were friends. But I kind of, uh, I kind of, you know, paint the brush with the uh, Soviet Union and the United States. We could both destroy each other. What's gonna be left? Nothing. So we found a way to get along. And I think that that, uh, that dichotomy between the two characters uh, really drew people in. I mean, there were many similarities, which was so interesting, but also differences. I mean, Johnny Sack was definitely not a womanizer. He didn't have all the, the women on the side. He was very protective of his wife. Yeah, true, true. But Johnny, it was about, you know, you, you, let's do it the right way or let's not do it at all. And, you know, I think maybe there was a, there was a little bit of looking at the New Jersey crew as if, you know, they were a bunch of hayseeds. You know, Johnny's a New York guy. He's an underboss, you know. Hundreds of soldiers, probably. I don't know. Um, sophisticated in the sense that, you know, we're going to do things organized. That's what it means, doesn't it? Organized crime. Let's be organized. Did you model him on anyone? No, no. I, you know, it's funny. I get that question a lot. But I have to, you know, I have to hand it to the writers in the sense that what they wrote was so specific and so easy for me to navigate that I didn't really need a big backstory. So I didn't research anything. I didn't read about, you know, guys in the life. Mm -hmm. uh, only because I felt, you know, actually, I'll tell you, 
It could very easily have been about corporate crime, Enron, a lot of people. We just happen to be gangsters. So I don't know if the backstory on, on a mob boss would have, would have helped me at all, when in fact, this is all about greed. This is all about the end of the day, who has more money? That's really what this is, as far as organized crime and as far as, you know, in some cases, uh, corporate America. And you were mentioning um, James Gandolfini, of course. You had so, I mean, you worked mainly with him. Yeah, I, I did, I did. I... Can you talk a little bit about your process with him and, and what he taught you or, you know? Uh, I'll tell you something. Yeah, Jimmy, uh, Jimmy's probably the best acting lesson anybody can ever have. Only because you got to realize, you know, not that you're working every day, but the days that you work are extremely long. And sometimes you're moving locations in the middle of the day. There's a lot of stress. There's a lot of tiredness. Jimmy was able to pop into Tony Soprano in a moment's notice. He wasn't one of these guys who went off to the side and prepped and prepped and prepped. At least I didn't see it happen. And I worked with him actually all 12 hours around the clock if you look at all the times we worked together. So, I mean, there were times at four o'clock on a Saturday morning you know, you're done. I mean, you've had it. But he has a way, he had a way of just energizing your work. And I remember after a very, very long night in Newark, and it was just he and I in the scene, he said, I finally figured out, I don't know if you're that good of an actor or you're just friggin' crazy. I said, well, I'm working with you. What does that tell you? But he was a very warm, very, very warm. But he, uh, we never talked about the work. We never talked about the scene or about, no, never. There was none of that. Talked about cars, talked about the weather, you name it. But never, you know, got into that head of, well, what do you think about the scene? And, I don't know, let's just do it. And that's what, that was his mantra. Don't think, do not think, just do it. Okay, and we did it. And one of the things we learned from this movie, from the Soprano sessions that you guys talked about at the dinner that, even when he became this huge star, he very quickly was Tony Soprano with the world. Um, he was so appreciative of the other actors and he really put up a fight to get everyone paid fairly. I, I, you know, as far as HBO is concerned, I, I don't know if they looked at the Sopranos as, a, as an iconic piece of work. I don't know if they really knew what they had in their hands, HBO, I don't know if they were. I don't know, perceptive enough to realize what this was. I don't even know if they're perceptive enough to realize today what it was, what it is. Um, it did, I don't think, it, it was certainly didn't make any, matter, any difference to me. I was, you know, I was in love with the part I was playing. I was in love with a, a few members of, of the cast because they were so talented. And what did James Gandolfini actually do to... Well, he, first of all, I remember quite a few phone calls over the seasons where he would call me and say, did you finish your uh, negotiation? Yeah. How'd you do? I'm okay. You sure? Yeah, I'm fine. So you're satisfied. I'm great. I really mean it, Jimmy. Thank you. And that's how he was. He was the mother hen. And and also at uh, one year, he gave each of these series regulars a really, very, very sweet check mm -hmm. personally that he didn't have to do. We were already being paid by HBO and whatever side things we had going on, but very generous, man. Very humble guy. Mm -hmm. And I can tell you that, uh, you know, he came, he, he grew up in a part of northern New Jersey where I'm from. And when his dad unfortunately passed away, 
in 2005, same year my dad died. Jim, uh, you know, Maureen and I, we went to his father's funeral. And so there was a, a repast afterward at one of his relatives' homes. I said, Jimmy, I said, I, I don't know where you, your cousin lives. Uh, how are we going to do this? All right, follow me, follow me, follow me. He drove his car, I drove mine. We stop at a, at a red light. And some guy in a car is coming around the corner. It's a warm day. The windows are open. He spots Jimmy in the first car. Then he looks. He spots me in the car behind Jimmy. The guy went crazy. <laughs> He's, my God, Stones Brown, Johnny Zach, and they, they drive their own cars. <laughs> Horns are blowing, you know. And Jim, friendly, you know, just, hi, how are you? You know, I, I can't stop to say hi. My dad passed, but, you know, it's just, it's just a regular, regular. I should, you know what? I'm sorry. I shouldn't say a regular person because a lot of regular people are jackasses. He was a special person. Let's put it that way. Let's talk about David Chase. You have said for you, he was more of a writer's director or creator than an actor's director or creator, which I found interesting. What did you mean by that? I think that, well, I, well, the way I feel about it is that David being a prolific scribe with an incredible imagination, really an incredible imagination. I think that um, uh, he's the type of a writer the words mean a lot to him. The casting obviously means a lot to him. He did a wonderful job casting. But I think that, uh, I mean, I, I was directed a few times by Steve Buscemi in some of these episodes. He was a wonderful actor. And uh, I just kind of got, I got the feeling very quickly that being directed by an actor is a wonderful feeling. Uh, being directed by a writer's writer, I think he only directed me in one day. I think, I'm not sure. It's just a different vibe. It's just altogether a different. I think that writers have a propensity to go off into the corner of a room, you know, because there's four writers, and, you know, we're writers, as opposed to uh, mixing in with the actors. I don't know if maybe there are times when writers feel that the actors have not done their words justice. Did Chase prep you on the character? Did you oh, get notes? No, actually, we never... We literally, as far as I can remember, never had a conversation about Johnny Sack. And the thing was that if David was not talking to you in the hallway on the soundstage, it was all good. <laughs> yeah, it was all good. I mean, year, I, literally years went by. I, how are you, Ben? Yeah, good. I swear to God. And that's, that was a comforting feeling because you knew that, you know, you're going to be here for a long time. That can, of course, be intimidating for a new actor. To Tim, right, it was intimidating to some of the people who came in for smaller stuff and they stuck around a while. And, you know, sure, sure, they would get the nod that uh, their character was ending, you know. Mm -hmm. And that's when you would hear from him or whoever else would tell the person. Thank God I made it through all the seasons. You did, you worked it. But did you get the call when, because um, I, I talked to another actor a couple of years ago from Sopranos who got the call from Chase that you're about to get whacked. Did that? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, actually what happened was, um, well, I was a contract player. So, you know, obviously I get paid whether I'm there or I'm not there. So me ending early of the final season did, did not, I had no, it didn't bother me at all. And the fact that uh, Sidney Pollack was brought in to be, you know, one of my scene mates was wonderful. No, it was Terry Winter who wrote the episode called Stage Five. Mm -hmm. 
and called me up and said, listen, Vince, Johnny's going to become very ill, you know, and then he's going to go. I said, well, okay, good. So how's he going to go? He said, well, he's dying of cancer. I said, okay, Terry. I said, so you know that I'm on the uh, foundation board of Hackensack University Medical Center, which is a prolific medical institution in New Jersey. He said, yeah, no. I said, well, you, you want me to hook you up with him? Oh, that'd be great. So I did. And I got him one of the, one of the oncology heads and so on and so forth. And I, they commiserated, whatever. And he uh, went, you know, he wrote the script. Those must have been so hard scenes. That progression, I mean, just in, is I, If I recall, yeah, if I recall, yeah, actually, I started filming that episode the day of, I'm sorry, the day of uh, Johnny's death. And we went all the way back to the diagnosis. So it took, I was, I guess, two and a half, three weeks, you know, and my head was shaved, you know, and uh, there was a little bit of press, not a lot, but a little bit about why is Vince Curatola's head shaved? You know, is something with the character and, you know, God, yeah, they know, you know, they smell it, you know, but nobody, no one ever leaked anything about our storylines. Not that I know of, not that I know of. But it was okay, it was, uh, you know, and that episode was at the premiere, I think it was Radio City Music Hall in Manhattan, which is gigantic. And there's my wife and my son and daughter-in-law. And I guess there's about 2,800 people in the theater and I'm up on the screen dying of cancer. You know, and I'm just watching how they cut it, you know, because that's how I would look at it. My wife's in tears, my son is upset. You know, I'm going, relax, it's makeup, just take it easy. <laughs> but I have to say, um, the worst episode of Sopranos, and I think that's an oxymoron, hell of a lot better than anything you'd ever see on television, then or now. But did you get the dinner at Il Cortile? No, no, no. We, no, we, were, we were like over it by then, you know, that, that was done, that moment had passed. The thing about Sopranos, this incredible narrative that Chase and everyone did that nothing helps power, no amount of power, no amount of money, no amount of nothing can help Tony Soprano, you know, not have a mental breakdown, right. uh, Uncle Junior not get dementia, um, Johnny Sack die of cancer, which is yeah. such an interesting element to put on the gangster, traditional gangster story as well. Did you guys talk about that? I, I think that, uh, I mean, <laughs> you know, we would be on location shooting and then come out of whatever building or restaurant. And there was, you know, there were also, also, there were always people out on the periphery, you know, behind security lines. I can't tell you how many 20 year old guys would scream, yo, man, I want to do what you do. I want to be what you guys, what do you want to be a gangster? No, no. Uh, yeah, I want to be the boss of the gangsters. How old are you, 20? I said, that's what you want to be? Are you serious? Uh, if you look at us closely, we were the most neurotic bunch of characters waiting for death either from this door or that door or from the ceiling somewhere or the internal revenue or the fbi there was not a character that you would want to actually emulate unless you're a moron so we were all we were all all of us all characters were neurotic and I, that's a credit to david because uh there was nothing glowing about any of these people yeah they had the money they had this whatever i don't know but there was nothing good about this, nothing, nothing at all. And so, and I, I always felt that, uh, I think one of the attractions of The Sopranos was that things got handled very quickly. You know, you didn't call your lawyer, uh, you didn't go to court, you didn't sue the guy because he owes you 200,000. Everything with these guys is very quick. 
but just stuff happens, you know, and I think that mesmerizes to watch and see how quickly your life can change. Um, again, uh, you, you know, it's funny because many times I've been asked, well, how would you have ended the series? And I think I would have ended it possibly in it. You know, you know this, this show, I mean, there were times maybe we thought it was a sitcom because, you know, funny stuff happens even to weird people, you know. Um, I would have had the camera and the final shot overhead and there's Tony Soprano and Carmela, but I would have had them in their bedroom. And I would have pulled, it would have been early morning, a little bit of sun coming in, camera pulling back, pulling back, and you're looking and going, whoa, wait a minute. This is not a mansion. This is just a little tiny house. Ba -ba 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 -ba. They both get up, they get dressed, they kiss each other good morning, they go down, have coffee, breakfast. Tony puts on his little vest with his little nameplate, Kmart, I'm Bill. Right. And Carmela gets ready for her little part time uh, uh, real estate job. And they get into their old cars and they go to work. And it was all a dream. Mm -hmm. well, I thought you were going to say witness protection program. Ah, all a dream. Just a dream. <laughs> but I have to ask you once you mention it, what do you think? I mean, one of the most debated things in all of TV and pop culture is that ending. Yeah. And yeah. there's so many people put so much different meanings in it and the meanings yes. have changed over time. What, yeah. what did it mean to you? Well, um, we were in Florida watching it. Uh, we had done a, a meet and greet in Florida. The night before we had done a, uh, also a big meet and greet at Foxwoods Casino in Connecticut. It was about, I don't know, 12, 1400 people. Then the next morning they flew us to uh, Florida. So that night we could do another big meet and greet and some press and then watch the uh, final episode. So it was Jim and it was Van Zant and uh, Tony Sirico, me, a couple other guys. And uh, so they put us in a room off the ballroom with a bartender and a big screen. And we're sitting there watching the episode. And of course the screen goes to black. You know, what, what happened just, what, <laughs> you know, my, my cell phone rang my wife who was back home, cable went out, what happened? Cable went out, no, I don't think the cable went out. Didn't go out. A lot of people called. I didn't know what the ending was. Jim did not know how it was gonna end. Nobody knew, and to this day, nobody knows why. You can, as you said, you can put your own face on it if you want. I thought it was a brilliant thing to do. Oh, I thought so too. Yeah, my own take on it is that, um, you know, we, we they closed, they closed the shade so you couldn't watch any more of Tony's life. That's what I got from it. Um, but then we had to go back out into that ballroom and those people who've been watching on their own screens, they were not happy. Oh no. You could see their faces. They were not, I mean, after all that, and you give them nothing at the end, you know, I'm not saying it should have been like who shot JR from the show Dallas, which I don't even know if you would remember that, but you know, there was no culmination here. But I did hear, I don't know how true it is, that David Chase said in an interview in the last couple of years, well, we had thought of Johnny Sack living for a little while longer and then calling Tony and saying, why don't you come into Manhattan and meet me for dinner tonight? With that Tony Soprano in his car, driving himself, going into the Holland Tunnel, which connects New York and New Jersey. Then, boom, black. 
I'm glad that didn't happen because my life would not have been worth a quarter if I had, if Johnny had called Tony Soprano to his demise. I would have had to move to the South Pole because people took this seriously. They took it seriously. They really did. Um, that's my thing on it. it. You know, it just, what happened, um, that was early June and my manager called me two weeks later on a Saturday night and said, listen, what are you doing tomorrow on Sunday? I said, it's Father's Day. What, what would I be, what, what, what do you want? He said, well, Bill and Hillary Clinton want to do a video spoofing the ending of The Sopranos. Would you be interested? I said, when? Tomorrow. I said, Father's Day? What, what do you, you know? No, they're going to send a limousine. It's only about 20 miles from your home. Blah, 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 blah. So I did it. I thought it would be fun. My wife came with me. I don't know if you ever saw this. I didn't. I have to look it up immediately. Yeah, they walk into the diner. They walk into the diner. They sit down. She orders him carrot sticks instead of onion rings. <laughs> he says to her, where's Chelsea? Uh, and he says, uh, she said, well, she's out parking the car, which is what Meadow Soprano did. But I'm the guy at the counter who looks over and glares at them. And I walk up to both of them and just stare at them. And then I run into the men's room. And it had, uh, again, it was the spoof for the ending of The Sopranos which I thought was cute. You yeah, know. it was fun. <laughs> it was fun. And it's funny because I had met her years before in Manhattan. First time I had met Bill, you know. And uh, I said to him, I said, you know, I'm a Republican, but I voted for you twice. And he said, oh, thank you. He says, you know, I really, I love you guys, your characters. I'm so upset. The show's now off the air. He said, are you guys going to come back? I said, no, are you? And he just stared at me. We had fun. When you look back at these years and these incredible seasons, um, do you have a particular um, scene or episode um, as Johnny that really sticks out to you? As Johnny? Mm -hmm. uh, dying. Because I think that that just shows you that the whole thing was like cotton candy. And when you begin to compress cotton candy, cotton bump up, there's really nothing. There's nothing left. There was nothing left for him. There's a guy who I guess at the time who was what in his fifties, early fifties, maybe fifty. Who uh, no younger than that? Anyway, there's a guy who loves the wife, loves the two daughters, and he has to go now. It's not like he's just you know he'll be back. No, he's dying, and that shows you that with all of whatever money, success, position, power he had. He couldn't change that. And uh, isn't it better to eat bread and onions and drive a 20-year-old car and live to be 90? I think I would prefer that, mm. you know? So that was probably my my favorite piece of work, only because I saw how delicate life really, really is. Um, and this is a big year for the Sopranos universe or whatever we want to call yeah. it. The Many Saints of Newark is is coming, which is right. the, the new movie with David Chase is written. It's actually a prequel. Do you know anything about is Johnny Sack in it? I, no, I don't. I have I know that I think if I'm correct, the time frame of the story is the late sixties with the rioting in Newark, New Jersey, and the fact that the mob was prolific there at the time. Um, do, do I know if there's a young Johnny Sack? No, I don't know. I really have not had any contact with, uh, you know, Chase or anybody else who would be in the know. Um, 
I, you know, I think it's going to be interesting to watch the opening credits and see that, you know, you're not going to see James Gandolfini mentioned or Edie Falco mentioned or anybody or the rest of us. I think that's going to be a very strange feeling. But you're going to see Michael Gandolfini, um, James' yeah. son. Oh, Michael, we remember since when he was born, you know. Yeah. What did he hang around you guys? Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, when he was a baby, Jimmy, uh, his mom had brought him to the set a few times. And of course, as he got older, we would bump into him here and there. Looks just like his father. Yeah. His eyes, it's, just, it's amazing. But we're very close to Jim's sisters, Johanna and... Uh, who happen to live nearby. So, you know, we kind of see that kind of, that face all the time, if you know what I mean, those yeah. eyes. Gandolfini <laughs> eyes, Lita and uh, her sister. The kid, God bless him, I wish him the best. I don't know how large his role is, but I, I wish him the best. And I think that focused, he'll be fine. He'll be fine, you know? And then I think that at such a young age, 20, whatever he is, he'll probably have to decide if this is what he really wants to do in his life. Yeah, it must be a very incredible experience for him to step into this yeah. part, which made his father so, I mean, which is a huge part of his father's life, I presume. Exactly, exactly, exactly. You know, Jimmy was so self-effacing and so modest. And I get that same vibe from his son in real life. That uh, if those similarities continue, the, the thread, then he could wind up being a hell of an actor, this kid. Well, finally, um, I have to ask you, if we would go to Il Cortile, what should we order? <laughs> uh, uh, baked clams, mm -hmm. first of all. And then I would have some uh, uh, linguine with, uh, believe it or not, just garlic and oil. I know it sounds strange, but with some grated Parmesan cheese, fantastic. And uh, anything along the lines of veal. Their veal dishes are stupendous. And uh, I, I, I really believe you would enjoy yourself. Oh, I would. And what would Johnny have ordered? Johnny, oh man, I'm I'm a fish guy. I like uh, I like filet of sole, marichiara, which is with some olives and some red sauce and whatever. And you know, I have an acting workshop. It's called Vincent Curatola Acting Workshop at Gmail. And I've sent a lot of my students there just to get a vibe and they come back to my class with the right vibe. I just tell them to go there, just take it all in, just take it all in and you'll see what energy really is. And there's a lot of energy in a place like that. Maybe as long as it doesn't mean we're going to get whacked after. No, God, no, no, not at all. Mr. Curatola, thank you so much for taking your time with me. Oh, please call me Vince in the future. Okay. I, I will. I'm definitely calling you Vince. Thank you so much. You've All the best good. to you and to your wife. And you too. Hello to your Italian husband. I will. Thank you so much to Vincent Curatola. Head over to CelebrateTheSopranos.com. There you'll find more info on where and when The Soprano Sessions is screening and when it will be coming to your area. And thank you so much for listening. Please subscribe to Pop Culture Confidential wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time. Hello, and welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book. 
and together we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts.